Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. Calvin, our youngest son, is being extremely stubborn when it comes to potty training. In one way worse than the other, if you know what I mean. Now, this is absolutely not Olivia's fault. She has successfully potty trained two kids before Calvin, so think twice before offering your well-intentioned tips and suggestions. We've tried just about everything. We've left him sitting on the toilet, we've bribed him with rewards, and we've told him about all the good things he's going to miss out on if he doesn't start using the potty. But he just won't budge. Now, when Calvin was one, that was no problem. You expect to change diapers. Even at age two, totally normal. But when he hit age three, accidents started getting annoying. And now that he's approaching four, well, that is just unacceptable. So recently, and we're not necessarily proud of this, we've employed an additional tactic in our war. When Calvin has an accident, we call him a baby. We ask him if he'd like us to get his crib out from the basement, or if we need to get rid of all of his big kid toys, or if he'd like one of us to make him a bottle. Needless to say, he does not like when we do this, but that's the point. We're hoping that he'll get so tired of being called a baby that he will accept our challenge to grow up. In Hebrews 5 and 6, the author faces a similar problem with his congregation. The Christians he cares for so deeply are acting like spiritual babies rather than growing in their faith. So the author takes steps to move them towards maturity. He does this in hopes that they will accept his challenge and develop into doctrinally and practically mature disciples. More specifically, he gives them some tough love. He gives them a stern warning. And he gives them some encouraging assurance to move them along this path. And if they are going to grow in their faith, persevere to the end, and obtain God's promises, they need all three of those things. The same may be said for us. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this place. I pray that while there's nowhere that you are not present, I pray that we would see and sense your presence here, gathered among your people in a really unique way this morning. As we open your word, as we take communion, as we sing these songs, as we pray, I pray that we would sense your presence among us and that that would be a source of encouragement, maybe even a source of conviction. 
for those of us who need it. Lord, whatever it is that we need, conviction, encouragement, comfort, hope, I pray that you would give those to us this morning by your word, by your spirit. And Lord, thank you that we are here by virtue of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have hope, we have redemption, we have identity, we have forgiveness through your son, Jesus. I pray that we would remember that as we get so many mixed messages about what's important and what defines us and how we define ourselves. I pray that we would keep our identity in Christ at the absolute forefront of our minds. And be with us as we read your word this morning. Again, it's going to be tempting to get into some of the theological weeds of this passage from Hebrews, but I pray that we would also recognize the practical import of this passage and that we would apply it to our lives in a way that builds us up and in a way that glorifies you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, starting in Hebrews 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Continuing in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So last week, Zach preached from Hebrews 4.14 up to chapter 5, verse 10. And the main point of that passage is that Jesus serves as our great high priest in a way that only he can. And if you thought that stuff was hard to wrap your mind around, take heart. So did the original audience of Hebrews. But the problem was not the content of the message. The problem wasn't the preacher. The problem was the hearers. It's kind of like when I visit my parents and they ask me to fix some new piece of technology that they claim isn't working. The problem is never the equipment. The problem is the user. And these people had a hard time understanding these words about Jesus as their great high priest. But it was their own fault. They were dull of hearing. So what does the author do? Well, he begins by giving them tough love. He calls these people who should be adults children. They ought to be teachers, but instead they're students. They're not ready for meat and potatoes, though milk should be a thing of the past. Now, these words may sound harsh, 
especially in our day and age, that really takes offense to anything remotely approaching shame. We may hear this sort of language as rude or insulting or even abusive. But the author isn't saying these things simply to shame, humiliate, or beat these Christians down. He's saying these things so that they might meet his challenge, rise to the occasion, and prove him wrong. He says these words because he wants them to move past their spiritual apathy, laziness, and lethargy. He says these things for their good. The author is hoping that they will hear these words, be slightly offended, and say, wait a minute. I'm not a baby. I'm not a child. And that would spur them on to growth. But then beyond just giving them some tough love, it may be said that the author gives them a sort of personal improvement plan. Practically speaking, how do they grow up? First, he will teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Chapter 5, verse 12. We see some of those basics laid out in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Repentance and faith, washings and laying on of hands, and resurrection and judgment. Repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Know the difference between the repeated Jewish washings that you used to do and your baptism. Know that Christ rose from the dead and will one day return as king and judge. That's all very basic for these Christians. But like professional athletes who still work on the fundamentals after years of playing their sport, these Christians need to be reminded of the basics. But then the author also speaks of training. And constant practice in chapter 5, verse 14. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. And while Galatians 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces all kinds of wonderful fruit among believers. Internal and external, public and private, mind and heart, word and deed. While that's all true, the truth remains that we are not completely passive parties in our sanctification. We have to put in some effort. The Apostle Paul captures this tension well in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then finally, in this personal improvement plan, the author is going to push them towards solid food. We see that in chapter 6, verse 1. Yes, he's going to remind them of the basics. In a roundabout way, he's already done that in this very passage. But he's also going to push them ahead when they are tempted to get static. Now, that may be uncomfortable for them, but it's necessary if they're going to grow. 
If you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike, there comes a point where you have to take the training wheels off. Even if they're concerned, and even if you're concerned that they're not ready yet. Because if you never challenge them to take that next step, the child is never going to progress. So we've seen the problem. Immature believers in Jesus who need to grow up. We've also seen one of the pastor's tactics to motivate them towards growth. Tough love. And for good measure, we even get some practical steps. Remember the basics. Training and constant practice. And being pushed to progress. But now we see the author's second tactic for waking these believers up out of their spiritual slumber. And that is a stern warning. Chapter 6, verse 4. We read there. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift... And have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, if you didn't already know, or as you may have guessed, this is one of the most controversial and hotly debated passages in the book of Hebrews, and maybe the entire New Testament, and maybe the entire Bible. But before we get into some of that, it's worth asking a few questions. First, who's the author talking about in this passage? Is the person described in verses 4 and 5 someone enlightened? Someone who has tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, and tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come? Is that person a Christian in the fullest sense of the word? Or are they someone who has just dabbled in the things of Christ? Someone on the fringe. It's hard to argue against the first option. Someone who meets all the criteria of verses 4 and 5 sure sounds like a Christian. So then, what's the danger that this Christian would face when the author says this person falls away does he mean losing their salvation entirely or is he talking about something like missing out on temporal blessings that god desires for them but still being saved in the end well this is a bit more difficult to determine than the first question But it's worth noting that this is not the first warning we've received in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2 cautioned us against drifting away and neglecting the great salvation God has given us in Christ. 
Chapters 3 and 4 warned us against missing out on rest the way the Old Testament Israelites did. It's also worth noting that the language of verse 8, words like worthless, cursed, and burned, that sounds like pretty high stakes. But finally, what are some of the ramifications here? Well, the author says that if this person, who we're assuming really is a Christian, falls away, then they cannot be restored to repentance. Why not? Because to be given the gift of salvation through Christ and then reject it. After everything Jesus did for sinners would subject Jesus to public mocking and contempt. It would suggest that his work on the cross wasn't really all that great. And that simply can't be tolerated. Now, while there are debates about this passage, and faithful Christians can disagree about how to interpret it, The way it's functioning in context appears to be this. This is a very real warning issued to immature believers at risk of falling away to motivate them to grow. Of course, some believers are perfectly comfortable with that kind of understanding. Others are not. After all, what do we do with passages like John 10? Where Jesus says that no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. Or what about Romans 8? Where Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Are those assurances all for naught? Do they provide a false sense of security? What do we make of this? We'll come back to that in a moment. But again... Remember the core problem. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Why is the author saying these things? It's because he wants the immature believers entrusted to his care to grow up. That's why he warns them that if they keep lollygagging around in perpetual spiritual immaturity, they are more susceptible to falling away entirely. So no matter how we read Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, regardless of how we navigate all the hypothetical scenarios or reconcile the systematic theology of it all, in context, this warning is given to motivate Christians to do something. He called them children to motivate them to grow up. And he warns them of falling away to motivate them to persevere. This passage isn't here so that Christians can have something to argue about. I'm not totally convinced it's here to make sweeping judgments about the possibility of apostasy or to rebut the doctrine of once saved, always saved. This passage is here to motivate believers to grow and persevere in our faith. So with that in mind, let's read verse 9. Though we speak in this way, 
Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So just when the Arminians in the room are about to do their victory lap, the author throws the Calvinists a bone. Because immediately following that stern warning about falling away, we get this encouraging word of assurance. Having just warned his audience about ending up worthless, cursed, and burned, the author tells them with a twinkle in his eye, but I know that's not going to happen to you. Paul does something similar in his letter to Philemon. Paul gives Philemon several reasons why he should let his slave Onesimus return to Paul's service. And maybe even some veiled threats about what might happen if he doesn't. But then Paul concludes with the equivalent of, But you don't need me to tell you to do all of this. I know you'll do the right thing. Right, Philemon? The pastor does something similar here. He gives these Christians a stern warning about falling away while also being confident that they won't. After all, Abraham didn't miss out on God's promises in the end, and he wasn't always mature. Why not? Because as faithless as Abraham could be, God was always faithful to Abraham. Likewise, Christ's faithfulness to us is more than enough to save us, even when our faithfulness to him is lacking. In verse 19, the author says that God's faithfulness is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his work as our great high priest, is more than sufficient for our salvation. So then that brings us back to our theological debate. Does Hebrews 6 warn us against falling away from our salvation? Or can it assure us in our salvation? Yes. Both have a place. Because both can motivate Christians to grow in our faith and persevere in our faith, which is what the author of Hebrews wants these believers to do. We never want to use God's faithfulness to us as an excuse to become lazy, immature, or lethargic in our faith. But we also don't want to think that perseverance in the faith is purely a product of our blood, sweat, and tears. We need to avoid both of those errors. If we hope to grow now, persevere to the end, and ultimately obtain the glorious promises secured for us in Christ, we need a little bit of everything 
that we've read in our passage today. Sometimes we need some tough love. Other times we need a stern warning. And still other times we need an encouraging message of assurance. So what do we do in response? We receive the tough love. Even when it hurts. And especially when it comes from someone who loves us. We heed the warning. Rather than softening it or neglecting it. And we welcome the assurance. Because Lord knows we need it. It's all for our good. It's all for our growth. It's all for our perseverance in the faith. And it's all given to help us obtain the promises that God has given us. So don't be like the boat that drifts away. Don't be like the Israelites who missed out on rest. Don't be like the land that gets rain but only produces thorns and thistles. Rather... With God's spirit as the wind in your sails. With God's people by your side as you journey toward the promised land. And with God's word lighting your path. Pursue God's son, Jesus Christ. The sure and steadfast anchor of your soul. The giver of eternal rest through his body and blood. And the forerunner of your salvation. So in a very profound conclusion to this sermon, stop being such a baby. Do I need to get the crib out of the basement? Do I need to get rid of all the big kid toys? Do we need to get you a bottle? I hope not. I think not. In fact, I feel sure of better things. Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. Because God will be faithful to you. And because you have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul in the person and work of Christ. So live like it. Grow into it. Hold fast to it. Inherit the promises that are already yours by faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the passage that we got to read this morning, as wide-ranging and as varied as it is. It sometimes feels like a roller coaster ride. At first, we're almost offended by what this passage could be saying about us. And then we're almost fearful of what this passage could be saying about us. But then we're comforted based on what this passage could be saying about us and lord if we're going to grow in our faith and persevere in our faith we need all of that sometimes we do need to be challenged sometimes we do need to be warned and sometimes we do need to simply be encouraged and so lord i pray that this passage has done those things for us this morning so that we might not be spiritual children but that we would grow and mature and develop into the disciples that you call us to be.
that you've equipped us to be, that you've enabled us to be through the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help our church grow, not just in terms of numbers, but in terms of maturity, depth, worship, obedience, faith, love for you and love for each other. Lord, help us grow to be the people you call us to be, the people you made us to be. Again, help us do this knowing that Christ is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. That even as we will inevitably trip up, we will inevitably have accidents. Thank you that you are faithful to us through it all. Thank you that you are the forerunner of our salvation, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've given us the gift of your spirit. Help us live like it. Help us act like it. Help us grow into that. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.